The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A young Jason Carpenter was looking for a job. And when he opened the want ads in the Sacramento Bee one day, he found an ad to become a telephone psychic. And then how evil would you be willing to go to raise your own army? We'll go to Southeast Asia and meet shamans and dark wizards who lend out baby ghosts for hire. You need something protected? Hire a baby ghost. You want something stolen? Hire a baby ghost. And if you want someone whose heart is crushed to death by little baby hands, you know where to go. The Baby Ghost Place, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Go to the Baby Ghost Place. But we'll get to that story in a second, because first off, I want to talk about me being a psychic phone operator. So I mentioned that a couple episodes ago. I just kind of said, oh yeah, I used to work for a psychic phone hotline. And then I just continued on with the story. Someone online was like, dude, tell us that story. So I will tell you that story. That is the origin story for this. Well, actually, the origin story for this is me getting the job. I I answered a classified ad back like in 98, 99. They needed psychic phone operators. Now, what it was was they would, I would dial into a call center type thing, and then phone calls would be rerouted to my phone. It was one of the only jobs, it wasn't the only one, but it was one of the only jobs that I actively drank at because it was so depressing. Everyone who called had a really deep Southern accent. Everyone who called was sad and depressed. No one ever calls a psychic hotline because everything's going perfectly in their life. They want to know. Is my life going to continue to be exceptional? Nobody does that. They call because they're at the lowest point in their life. When I got my packet to join, like they sent me my introduction packet, a little owl brought it in with a little scroll and I unraveled it. Thanks, owl. It had a list of suicide hotlines for every single state in the world. Not every single state in the world. It would have um, all of the suicide hotlines for every state in America. And so I was like, oh, that's a not a good thing. No, I mean, it's good that suicide hotlines exist, but I don't want to have a job where that is part of it. Because then I was like, the people who are calling me, like, are really, really depressed. And that was true. Now, there was a couple rules I had to follow. One, never fall in love. Two, that wasn't actually a rule, but it should have been. Two, you had to keep them on the phone for five minutes. And they did that like an average. So if you had one person hang up within five minutes, that's no big deal because they took a monthly average of it. But the caller got the first two minutes for free. Every minute after that was $3.99. You had to have an average of over five minutes. And in each phone call, they wanted us to get the name and the address of the caller so we could send them coupons and then they'd call back and get like an extra additional minute free or half off the phone call or whatever it was like that. So I started doing it. And I basically would sit down with my phone. <laughs> I, I don't think I drank the first night, but by the second or third night I was drinking I would sit down with my tarot cards, a bottle of Jack Daniels. I'd get on the phone. I'd dial in. And these people would call in with pretty 
normal problems. They'd call up, you know, am I going to get this job? Is Am I going to find my cat? Whatever. There's really only two phone calls I remember. I did the job for about a month. There's two phone calls that I remember. One, this woman called me up. This is towards the end of my time there. I ended up quitting after the month. But this woman called me up and she's sobbing. And I'm like, okay, take a shot of whiskey. And I go, what's going on? I mean, obviously you got a sobbing woman on the phone. I was a little more empathetic than that. I was just like, come on, lady. She tells me that her hus- she wants to know if her husband is going to leave her. So the obvious question I have is, well, is there any reason why he might? And she goes, he's going to leave me because I keep spending too much money on psychic hotlines. And I was like, oh my god, this is a double shot one. And I'm like, well, I... Got to keep her on the phone for five minutes. I remember trying to wrap that one up real quick, but I did the tarot reading because I did. I still do tarot card readings. I'll go a little bit into that at the end here. But so I'm dropping out the tarot cards, and I knew exactly what I was going to tell her. I didn't really care what the card said. I said I did. I didn't tell her her true destiny. I said, okay, so here's what the tarot cards say. He's not going to leave you, but you need to work on your marriage and don't call us again. Like you can call us like months from now. But give it a while. Don't call any more psychic hotlines. Because I see in your future, your husband will leave you if you continue to call psychic hotlines. And she said, she goes, I got a coupon in the mail and I saw it as a sign that I needed to call the psychic hotline. And I remember that was a call that made me, one, really want to quit. And two, I didn't never sent the company the names and addresses of the people that I had been collecting. I was like, nah, throw it away. I don't want them to, I don't want to give them this information. They already automatically had hers, obviously, but I was like, I don't want to get anyone else hooked on this. I ended up getting paid from them. I don't even remember how much I made, but I got like one month to pay for it. But I never sent off the list. I never sent off that stuff. The other really notable phone call, and I, this, I always use this story to talk about how psychics work. Now, I, when I use the term psychic in reference to me, I'm not psychic. I'm not psychic. I don't claim to have any psychic powers whatsoever. What I can do is I can read people incredibly well. This guy calls me up and he goes, just before I even get through my introduction, he goes, if you can't tell me why I'm calling, I'm going to hang up. I get two free minutes and you got two minutes to tell me, Mr. Psychic, why I'm calling or I'm hanging up. Now, I'm obviously thinking I got a five minute average, like I can't afford. And I had was keeping people on the phone for like 15, 20 minutes, so I, I wasn't worried about it, but it did spark something in me. It's like, oh no, I can't let this guy hang up within the first two minutes. Can't let him get that free phone call. And so I pause for a second and I go, you're calling because of something you own, but can't touch. And he goes, whoa. Now, obviously that's so vague, it can mean anything. Because it means nothing. This, when I said it, it was just a statement that I knew would give me enough wiggle room to keep him on the phone. And you're going to be like, Jason, you're a total scam. I'm going to go kind of into this because I think there is a healing process. I think I wasn't just doing this for the money as time goes on and stuff like that. There's a reason why I actually advocate for this. The psychic phone hotlines, I think they rip people off money-wise. But really, a lot of times it can work as a therapy. And it's around the same price as going to a therapist without insurance. So anyways, I blew his mind and we started talking. And I actually kept him, this is my longest phone call, I kept him on the phone for an hour, which was the legal limit. At, I think, 57 minutes, a beep pops up on my phone. And then at 58, it beeps again. And at 60 minutes, it will actually automatically disconnect the phone call. So I think this phone call probably cost him four times 
58, four times 60 would be like 240 bucks this phone call cost him. But the way he felt after the phone call, he was at peace. And, and I know you're thinking, well, what was something you can own but can't touch? How did, why did he react to that? As we're talking about it, he tells me he was calling because he wanted to know if his music career would be successful. Music is something you can own. You can own the songs in your head. They're part of you. But you can't hold music. You can hold the instruments. You can hold the recording. But you can't hold music. Such a vague answer. It would have applied to art. It would have applied to relationships. It would have applied to so many possible things outside of a physical object. If he really wanted a car, he would have hung up. Something that he could actually touch, he would have hung up. But it's so vague. But we talked... And at the end of the phone call, I basically gave him the confidence to focus on his music. I was like, you got to do it, man. Like, I know it can be hard and you'll be, you know, working, you'll be doing the music thing, but you got to do it. Like, that's why I don't feel bad about, I didn't want to give them the, give people the coupons, but I never felt bad about the conversations themselves because everyone I talked to ended the conversation in a better place mentally than they were before they called me. They weren't crying. They weren't depressed. Now, they may have been a little depressed when they got that bill. But again, you go to a therapist without insurance, it's going to be a ton of money anyways. And you're going to be less likely to be honest face-to-face with a total stranger than you are to be with someone over the phone in a completely different state. Now, remember, this was like in 98, 99. And I wanted to get his name for the logbook. And I go, hey, man, hey, I never got your name. And he goes, Mayor. John Mayer. It's like, nice to meet you, John. Hope things work out for you. Click. Actually, that, that last part didn't happen. That's where it didn't happen. But I actually have always wondered about what happened with that dude. Like, if he was, he was like working in oil, or he was working in some engineering job, but he really wanted to be a musician. He wanted to know, was it worth even venturing to try to do music? And the answer is, of course. He didn't, well, didn't want to quit his job to do music. He just wondered if anything would ever come of it. Of course, man. Like you, what will come of it is your enjoyment. So I never felt bad about actually engaging with these people. They always were in a better headspace afterwards. But I didn't want to do it. It was super depressing. It took a lot out of me. So that's it. That's the psychic phone operator hotline. I mean, and really, that's the key to any psychics. I don't know if you guys go to psychics. It might be your way of talking to people. I don't know. or just getting out issues and stuff like that. But it's all basically a game where I'm going to make vague statements. You are going to respond to those statements. Until they become more specific. And then I'm going to actually repeat back to you what you told me. And you will forget all of the questions it took for me to get to that main point. I can guarantee you that that guy, the musician guy, didn't realize that I was made such an incredibly vague statement. And I just slowly narrowed it down. To the point where I could openly ask him, what are you calling for? And he says, well, I'm calling for my music career. At that point, we just talked about his music career at that point. And I gave him advice to follow your dreams. And I'm sure he got off that phone call and wasn't like, that man, all he did was tell me to follow my dreams. That's no psychic. He was like, that guy had all the answers. Because I just kept asking these questions. And then one point I just straight up said, why, you know, what is this? And he goes, my music and so on and so forth. So you ask very vague questions as a psychic. And then you just narrow them down, narrow them down, narrow them down. And then I'll just repeat them back. And you'll think that I'm some sort of evil wizard. But it's all, it's all a trick. And in the hands of a scrupulous person, it can be used as a form of therapy. And in the hands of a less scrupulous person, it is just a way to manipulate people and steal money for them and stuff like that. But that is actually a good segue for our next story. 
Because we're going from... I wouldn't necessarily call what I did white magic, but I think it would fall more in the level of gray magic. It, You might call it black magic because people are spending a ton of money, but I feel like they left the phone call in a better place. So let's go ahead. We're going to leave behind 1999 Jason. Sorry, dude, I can't warn you about all the troubles that are coming up. He's like, what troubles? And I'm like, see you later. He's like, no, tell me, warn me, please. Anyways, I shed a little tear for young, naive 99 Jason. And I get, not just me, we get in the, I got I got lost in there for a second. I'm looking at myself through that pane glass window. I'm like, if only I could warn myself. But I can't. He must struggle those things, too. And you're like, Jason, why are you talking to yourself? Let's just get on the carpenter copter. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. And then I'm looking at him. No, I'm just joking, I'm joking. We get in the carpenter copter. We take off. We are going to Southeast Asia. It's a whole region over there. You you know geography. China, a bunch of other stuff. Um, what else well, what else is over there? Um, Malaysia, you know, Southeast Asia stuff. Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Anyways, we're flying our helicopter over this place. I don't know where we're going. And we land somewhere in Southeast Asia. You're like, Jason, that's incredibly vague. I know, I know. It's all over the region. We get off. We don't get off. We land, we disembark into a small Malaysian village. We're in Malaysia. You're like, you could have just said that, dude. So we're in Malaysia, but we might go to China and these other countries. Walking around Malaysia, there's a small village. And there's a guy there, and his name is... I'm not going to make up an Asian dude's name. Norvish from Scandinavia, that's fine. I'm not going to make up an Asian dude's name. His name is Mr. Jones. So... We go into this Asian village, <laughs> Mr. Jones and me and you. We're going to be big stars. But today, Mr. Jones is going to show us around his stereotypical Asian village. And we're like, thank you, Mr. Jones. Nice to meet you. And he's like, thank you. Thank you. And we just stand there awkwardly looking at each other for a while. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're here to talk about the toils. And I'm like, yes, tell us about the toils. And he goes, first off, I can almost assure you that you're mispronouncing that. Secondly, these things are also known as the Komen Tong or the Kui Kia. Kui Kia, which is an exceptionally cute name. But what these things are, are anything but cute. So Mr. Jones leads us into a shack. Not a shack, a hut. It doesn't matter, both are pretty stereotypical. It's actually a one-story adobe house. Huh? Breaking the stereotypes. So we walk into this one-story adobe house in the middle of Southeast Asia. And he's like, take a seat, my friends. And I will tell you all about the toil, a.k.a. the Kuikia, which is much cuter. So, sit, sit down. And we sit down, we walk in this hut. It's a nice little place. Why am I calling it a hut? It's a one-story adobe house. We sit down, and they're like, looking around. Now, it's a shaman's It's a sh- <laughs> Okay, it's a hut. It's a shaman's hut. And, you know, got trinkets, chicken bones. Bunch of other, like, shamanistic stuff. Big earthen vases next to us. Hmm, smells like kombucha. Take a big drink. Here, you want some? I'll let you decide whether or not you drink any of this kombucha from a shaman's head. Drinking it up. Mr. Jones is standing there and he goes, The toil is a weapon. We have perfected the ability to take the undead and turn them against the living. But... The first step to create one of these things is we must dig up the fetus of a dead child. (laughs) Okay, this is kind of dark, Mr. Jones, but silence! 
The second step is we take the body and crush it, creating a liquid known as corpse oil. At that point, he turns around. He's like, were you just drinking out of the earth in face and wiping corpse oil off my face? No, sir. I was not. Oh, my stomach, I don't feel so good. He's like, good. Because if you did, that's totally gross. Don't do that. I'm like, yes, sir. Don't drink stuff in a shaman's hut is basically what I'm saying. So we take this corpse oil, and I swear to God, you didn't drink any. No, no, man, I didn't drink any. Feeling like super powerful now. Feel like I have the power of ten babies inside of me. He goes, what we do is we take the corpse oil, we make a little statue of a baby, and we drop it in the vase. And then you have created a toil. At that point, I'm wondering if I can swallow the statue of a tiny baby. This is what these things do. And this is actually quite fascinating, because we've talked about this in past episodes, but... The escalation of magic warfare is fascinating. You don't really hear about it a lot. But that's what we're going to be talking about with the toils. So, the toils are pretty much what he described. And what you do is you create a little ghost baby servant to do some do some bad stuff in the neighborhood. They're technically created for evil, which makes sense because of the ingredients. Like, nothing good is going to come out of magic involving a, a baby. So... What happened was, back in like the 1500s, this this uh, soldier in Thailand, this is one of the origin stories for these things, he was getting ready to fight this great war, and his wife died at the same time, and his wife was pregnant with his son, so he took the son out of his, well, the, the kid was dead too, and then used this magical ritual that he invented, and created a ghost baby warrior to follow him into battle, and what it would do is, it like Casper, it would fly, no, Casper didn't do this, but it had the abilities of Casper, where it could fly through stuff. So as this soldier from Thailand is chopping all these people up, the ghost baby is flying into his enemies and like phasing into them and then crushing their hearts from the inside. And that's when people saw the power behind the uh, toil. So what they were used for in modern time, they were, this was a myth, but it still persists today. People still talk about these things like they're real. The toils were used after the Great War Toils were used for thieves because they're an invisible little tiny guy that sneaks into your house and would take gold from you or money, anything, watches, whatever. <laughs> I don't have to explain what thieves are. So that's what they would do. They were used as thieves. And then people said, you know what? I'm tired of getting my stuff stolen. I'm going to create toil bodyguards. So they go out and dig up a bunch of babies and they are wringing the corpse oil out of them. And creating little ghost babies standing in front of their house. So then when the other toils would try to sneak in, they'd be like, uh-uh-uh. And there'd be a little ghost baby fight out in your front yard. Then other people started saying, okay, well, if I can't get into your house, I'm going to create a baby saboteur. So these babies would be able to like go in and like break your windows, smashing stuff up, smashing it up real good, taking the wheels off your cart. At that point, they're basically gremlins. And other people said, you know what, I'm going old school with this. And they were training their toils to assassinate people. So you'd have these people just drop in heart attacks. And in Southeast Asia, the they'd be like, oh, a toil must have gotten them. Who doesn't like this guy? Who has a toil? Because they're not the easiest thing to create. You have to have access to the materials. God help you if you do. And you have to know the incantations as well. So you would go to shamans and you would basically special order these ones. Which one did you want? Did you want... The thief? Did you want the saboteur? Do you want a bodyguard? Do you want an assassin? Some people actually, this found this absolutely fascinating. 
Some people said, you know what, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Bodyguards are probably the best of them. But I think we can do one better. I think we can have good toils. So doctors would go and to shaman. I don't know if like George Clooney level doctors. I don't know if like doctors in hospitals did this. But regional doctors in the past would say, I want to toil because they can go inside people, right? And the shaman's like, and crush their heart. He's like, no, no, no. I don't want them to crush their heart. I want the baby to go inside people and look around and then come back out and tell me, does he have gallstones? His liver inflamed? Did he drink some corpse oil? I want a baby to fly around in a human body and tell me what's wrong so I can diagnose them. Shaman's like, and then crush their heart? Is it no heart crushing, bro? Just give me one that doesn't want to crush anybody's hearts, that just wants to be a medical aid. So people started using these as uh, diagnostic tools as well. You had entire communities that had these. You either had ones that stole for you or protected your house, and everyone would have these earthen jars with these little tiny statues in them. But, you know, full of corpse oil. It wasn't just, like, something you'd put on your mantle. It was still quite disgusting. Now, they're obviously, like, all spirits or cryptids from mythology. They had built-in weaknesses. You know, werewolves have silver bullets. Vampires have the cross and garlic. So what weakness does the toil have? Other than another toil. Other than another little ghost baby that could fight him. And they actually, people who said they could see these things, they just look like babies. There's been a modern retcon, like a grim dark retcon, where they have green skin, sharp teeth, and pointed ears. Because there's been a couple movies made about these things. But in the old literature, they just look like a baby, just walking around. Which is ten times more terrifying than like a green goblin little monster running around. I'd be like, oh, that's a monster. If I saw a baby sneaking through my house, I'd be like, that is, that's terrifying. That is the ghost of a human baby. But these guys have some very interesting weaknesses. So the the main thing they were used for was theft. Now, they have a fear of needles, because they don't like to get poked, which is weird because they're ghosts. So you would put, you would put your money down, and then you'd put needles underneath it. And then you'd wake up and your money would be there and you'd be like, oh, it protected, the needles protected my money from the toils. Problem is, now when you go to get your own money, you're like, ah, my hand, maybe I'm a toil as well. Also, if you put your, if you put your money on top of a mirror, uh, toils hate their own reflection, which is, that's also much safer than the needles. But anyways, they would start to take the money off, they'd see the reflection and they'd run away. So that's a viable tactic. They're all, and I think this is the biggest problem with these guys. They are as smart as a baby. I.e., they're completely idiotic. Yeah, they can fly around, they can crush people's hearts, and they can steal. But they're so dumb, if you want them to steal something, you have to show them what they are going to steal. So when I was reading up on this, they said if you want them to steal $100, you have to show them a $100 bill. If you already have a Rolex watch to show them, then you don't need that dude's Rolex watch. But the problem was the myth persisted because basically if someone became super rich in the community, everyone else would think, oh, he must have a toil. He must be stealing it from other people. And also, how do you use a baby as a diagnostic tool if they're that stupid? You could take a one-year-old and like show them someone who's like been blown away by a landmine. Baby's not going to know what it is. They can't tell you that. You would have to show a baby what an inflamed liver looked like and then be like, if you see this, let me know. And the baby's like, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess that's what actual medical school is. I guess they have to see an inflamed liver. Maybe doctors are as dumb as babies. But anyway, so they're as stupid as babies. So that is a good defense against them. Also, if you leave out marbles or beans, they'll actually like come in your house and they'll see a bunch of marbles and they'll start playing with them and they'll forget why they were there. 
And then eventually they'll just walk home. They'll be like, what was I doing there? Oh, I was playing with marbles. And then they go back home and they'd be like, hey, where's my $100 bill? And the baby's like, I don't know. Now, again, you're just going to walk out. You're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to step on a bunch of marbles, slip and fall on a pile of needles. So it, all of the tool, most of the tools to defeat them are actually not that handy to begin with. But it got to the point where people began using this, people began using toils to go in. This is actually quite ingenious. They would have Ocean Eleven style heists at casinos using ghost babies. Local gambling dens, not casinos, they didn't have all the bright lights. Because we're talking from about the 15th century to the modern day. Well, they have bright lights now over there, but it's not like they were like robbing Las Vegas. They'd have Ocean Eleven style heists with ghost babies. Or you would show up with your ghost baby because you can have such a loyal connection to your toil that you can communicate telepathically. So you would be gambling, you'd be playing cards, and your ghost baby would be floating around the other people and be like telepathically saying, fold, fold, he has a full house, he has a full house. But again, you'd have to show a baby all the combination of hands and stuff like that. But it got to the point where casinos then had to go to the shamans and order, be like, we need to beef up our security. They'd just hire a bunch of ghost babies to hang out at their gambling den. So again, you have that escalation of warfare. If someone goes to gamble and they're winning too much, people are going to assume there's a ghost baby floating around. So then gamblers started bringing their own ghost babies, and then the casino had to hire a bunch of their own ghost babies to hang out. They're working. They're walking around in little suits and little earpieces. They're monitoring all the cameras. They're like, got a ghost baby in Sector 7. So there's there's rules, too, for having these things. Toil rules. That you have to follow, otherwise bad things are going to happen. So, th- even though they look like regular babies, they have, they're very dangerous. They can have claws come out of their hands. And like I said, they can fly into you and crush your heart. That's not really a rule. That's <laughs> just in my notes there, and I don't think I said that earlier. One of the rules is you got to be aware of that toils are super jealous creatures. Especially if you have a baby on the way, they'll become more mischievous. So if you have a baby on the way, you have to be really careful around these guys. And you always got to like feed them like toast and milk every day. That's like their favorite meal. And if you leave fruit out for them, the fruit will spoil very quickly. That means the toil ate it. Like you obviously don't see a pear going, little bites being taken out of it. But a toil will suck the essence out of a pear. It rots very quickly. So if you have a baby on your way, you have to feed it extra. You got to let the toil know that he's still number one in your book. So... There's 31 of these rules. We're obviously not going to go through all of them. One of them is you got to feed them blood on the 14th of every month. But, and there's a little disclaimer to this rule, it can't be blood on a sanitary napkin. That's a weird disclaimer. It seems so specific. It's not, it can't be period blood. (laughs) I'm sorry, this episode's kind of gross, but it can't, it's not that it's like no period blood for this ghost baby. It just doesn't want period blood on a sanitary napkin or your sanitary pad. So what? And and nobody wants nobody wants it. Why would you need that disclaimer? That's like saying don't get hit by a train. Yeah, of course, dude. Nobody no no nobody wants a vampire to be like, no thanks, I'll come back a couple days from now. Blah. Another rule is you if the owner is a male, the toil can help you seduce women. No explanation for how that works. Absolutely. I'm fascinated by that. You have a baby wingman floating around. I mean, I guess if the baby, like, was able to read her mind, you might help. It might be like a what women want Mel Gibson type of thing. But 
How do you, I mean, I understand sometimes like if you have a puppy in your park, women are going to approach you, but that's a big difference between carrying around a jar of corpse oil and having the ghost of an infant float around you. Not a good pickup tool. And it only works with dudes. So women can't use, there's actually a very specific rule with female toils. Because obviously, you know, there's female, human babies, male and female. A female toil are known to not be very good at all. Now, this isn't, I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm sure that a female toil would be just as good as a male toil. I believe in equal opportunities for all ghost babies. But according to this belief system, female toils are terrible. They don't ever leave the house. <laughs> this isn't me, guys. They don't ever leave the house. They're insanely jealous and they don't steal stuff. So you can't really get them to do anything. They kind of work as bodyguards, but they're weaker than the male toil, so they're just going to get wrecked anyways. And here's the phrase here. Due to their lack of usefulness and control issues, female toils are not common. So yeah, you, you can have a female toil, but there's no advantage to it. They're actually a disadvantage. Because they're going to get even more jealous when you have a kid. They're not going to do what you want. And they're just going to be a total nuisance. So if you wanted to, like, you could give one to an enemy. You're like, hey, I knew we had some problems in the past. Made you this. And you pull out a little jar of corpse oil. And they're like, you didn't. And you're like, I did. You got your own toil. And the little girl goes, hops out. And she, like, crosses her arms. She's on the phone all night. You're like, oh, my God, please. Just like a super rebellious little girl floating around punk rock hair. There's, like, little biker toils. Little tattoos coming in every night, bringing home the bad boys, the bad boys of the toil world. And you're like, what did I do to deserve this? Oh, yeah, I crushed up a baby and turned it into a ghost. So the toils, because you have this close communication with them and you've created this thing, a lot of families, because they've become powerful through their use of these ghost babies, they'll actually hand it down through the years. You have to be careful not to break the jars because then they get really mad and you got to like hurry up and go back to the shaman to get a new one made. So you have to put it in a place, cause so you have to put it in a place that's not, it's not gonna get knocked over and spill corpse oil all over your brand new stolen rug. But, at a certain point, you may decide, I'm done with the toil. It's time for me to just get rid of it. It's been a bad influence on me, it, I have all this stolen stuff and I feel bad about it. It's killed a couple people and I feel bad about that. It's time to let the toil go. Now, the, like I said, there's 31 rules and we've gone over a couple of them. Rule 31 is, if the toil knows that the owner is planning to destroy it, it will make sure that the owner dies together with it. So, it's a cursed item, really. Like, once you create it, you are bonded with it for life. Your family is, you can hand it down throughout the generations. But you have to take care of it, you have to feed it, you have to keep it away from sanitary napkins, it's going to get jealous. It can turn against you and start creating havoc in your own house. People have tried dropping them off overseas and the baby (laughs) swims through the ocean. Actually, what they said is that when you drop it off overseas, the toil will crawl into the luggage of people and then they'll go to where you're at and then it'll crawl out of the luggage. So it doesn't it's not even a good swimmer, which makes sense because they're babies. And if you decide you're just going to smash it, destroy the vase, destroy the little effigy inside, it can read your mind when you're thinking that and it will make sure that you die with it. The toil is a weapon. And it's just part of a magical arms race. Somebody wanted an advantage in a battle, and they did whatever it took to get it. 
And then long after the smoke and fire of that war ended, people still saw that they could use these creatures for their own gain. These creatures became an everyday occurrence, something to be afraid of, and something to own to protect you from other people's bad intentions. In 2006, there's a story of a fisherman who was fishing out in the area. And he pulled up a small vase. Didn't know what it was. When he opened it up, there was a little statue in it. And then he knew exactly what it was. And it filled him with dread. So these things still are being used today. Are they real? Probably not. But the fear of them is. It's a good way to explain things like sudden heart attacks, missing items. It's also a way to make you feel peaceful at home, knowing that that little vase on your shelf is giving you some sense of protection from the darkness of the outside world. But whether or not the spirits themselves are real is really not the point. The practice itself is. And even today, there are shamans going through cemeteries, digging up baby body parts to engage in centuries-old black magic. The ghost of a baby is supernatural, but the people who practice it are truly inhuman. DeadRabbitRadio gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.